Hello, hello. Yes, Pet Chat again. Welcome, David Tabrett. Are you checking whether your mic's on? Is testing, that what that was? Testing. Just, yeah. I'm here. And Cheryl Shaw, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Lovely to be on board. What are we looking at today? Oh, for me, it's going to be some winter grooming, how to look after your dog's coats during the winter. Beautiful. And I'm going to talk about the range of uh, sort of activities and jobs people in veterinary medicine get into. And we're looking at winterising your pooch. That's right. A lot of people don't know what to do with their dog during winter, so we need to look at what we can do to help keep their coat nice and healthy. I was one of those people. I came to you and I said, Cheryl, my dog's all, you know, matted. He needs to be groomed, but isn't it too cold? And you went, actually, there's a lot we can do. And you're giving us some tips on winterising our dogs. Yeah, absolutely. The cold weather is really here now, Sarah. And, you know, we're experiencing a lot of windy weather, which is quite a problem with a lot of dogs' coats. What actually happens with the windy weather, the dogs get static. And when they're positively charged, you get that full boof look on the dog. And we can help prevent this and um, obviously make the dog's coat a lot softer. And the way to do that is to actually get some um, leave-in conditioner. So a conditioner that actually acts like a moisturiser on the dog's coat. And if you just rub that in every second day, it'll help prevent that um, sticky-out hair, that crazy hair day that often puppies have. The other thing that can cause that, apart from the wind, is when they're wearing their little jackets, um, often the synthetic fibres rub and cause that electric yeah, um, charge on static. the dog. So yep. that static is quite a problem. Um, the other thing... Often with the rainy weather that we've also just experienced, if a dog is to get wet and they're not dried, it makes the coat shrink. So it actually shrinks back, just like a woolen jumper when you wash it. So it's a really good idea if the, um, our clients and customers out there can all make sure that they wipe down their dogs and, and dry them off and give them a good brushing. A thorough brushing is going to stop that um, coat from matting back. Um, dogs still require grooming in winter. You don't have to go as um, short as you do in the summertime, but it's really, really important to make sure that you find a groomer who can help you um, keep your dog's coat a little longer. One of the things that you need to do with your grooming of your dog is to make sure in the winter time that you're getting your dog's feet um, paid a lot more attention to. If they've got a lot of hair between their toes and on their pads, they'll take on a lot more moisture from the rainy weather and the dew on the ground and um, they'll take that inside and their feet will remain wet. Often dogs will then start licking at their feet and chewing at their toes. So it's a good idea to keep that hair removed from the bottom of their feet. Dog's hair, just like our hair, grows in cycles. So it's shedding and we need to remember uh, that shedding hair smells. So it causes that doggy odour. Yep. And if we are able to, to brush that hair really regularly, um, just like we do with our own hair, it's going to stop a lot of that odour and those doggy tangles that often will make sure that when the dog goes to the groomer, it doesn't end up with a short haircut. <laughs> yeah. Short hair is fine in the yep. summertime, but certainly in winter, dogs need to have a bit more coat on board. Um, it's important that um, you do remove that shedding coat. As I said, with the matting, it can often be caused by things like dirt and dander, a lot of leaves and grass. So you'll have things like tipicina leaves falling on the ground. That makes a real problem with dogs' coats. So making sure that you're just um, keeping your dog brushed probably every second day is a great idea, particularly when their coats are a lot longer. I was kind of giggling before, Cheryl, when you said when you take them to the groomer, make sure they're not matted. Mm -hmm. because 
because I think I could be guilty. Do, do you all sit around afterwards and go, oh, what a bad dog owner. Look how <laughs> look how matted that dog was. No, we just, we just feel for the dog. I yes. mean, we know that we've got to get them feeling comfortable again because when a dog is matted, it actually pulls on the skin and it does hurt the dog. So, you know, trying to make sure that they're relieved of that pain. Um, obviously, we like to see dogs that are kept in really good condition. But you know what? If they're going along to the groomer, it means their owner does love them and that's the important thing they are being cared for. Well, Gizmo's been recently done. He looks beautiful, but he always goes in looking terrible. I mean, he's not matted to the hills, but it is hard at home. I do brush him, but sometimes I can't get them out myself and that's why I... Yeah, you know, you know what, it's him. often a good idea to get your groomer just to give you a little lesson on how to brush and comb. And some dogs, you know, they're not that easy for their owners to do. They know all the buttons to push. So it's it's one of those common things that owners can't brush as well as a groomer. Yeah. That's our jobs. Yeah, right. Yeah. I always I always say to my husband, I love Gizmo so much more when he comes home from the groomer because he smells nice and looks good. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm superficial like that. Oh, you know what? There is a thing with the longer coat, like Izzy um, has had a haircut, but one of the things that you need to do is make sure that around their eyes are kept really clean um, and around their bottoms mm. are kept clean. You just don't want any of those little clingers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially just not if they're the, sharing the, beds. Um, the other thing with the matted hair is that you can't really see what's going on with the skin underneath. Right, if there's any issues. <clears throat> yes, and and from a veterinary perspective, we often find animals that do have heavily matted hair can be harbouring skin problems. And maybe that's the reason why they haven't had appropriate brushing as well, because they might be sore with that area. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's a double, you know, two two sides yeah. to that coin. It's a good one to to mention today about the grooming because I do know a lot of people that sort of think when it comes to winter, oh, I don't get my dog done because they need to have their, you know, that's their, so true. Their long coat. It is a misconception. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of people need to realise that they get their own hair cut, so you just get a longer <laughs> cut on the dog's hair. Cool. And and like David was saying, it's really important to be bathing and drying because you can look at that skin, you can see if there's things going on, and it's also helping to keep the skin nice and healthy by bathing and drying them. You're, you're getting rid of all of that excess oil that's coming away from the glandular cells. You're also um, reducing those scurfing, that extra skin that's shedding so it's a great idea to still you know at least be bathing and drying your dog often people think when the weather changes oh no we wait till spring well that's really not the best interest of your dog okay some really good points there yeah I, i think all of us can sort of go okay i'll make sure i do this a little bit more often in winter yeah, and particularly a lot of dogs are inside dogs too. So. That's right, and a lot of dogs, like your, your older dogs or your sedentary dogs, when they're laying on the lounge, they're compressing their coat. So it's really important that they get bathed and dried and brushed. Belinda from Medawi, you need some advice with your border collie. What's your question for Dr. David Tabret? Hi, how are you going? Um, I have a male border collie that's not de-sexed, and he will urinate on everything. Mm, Pots around the veranda and everything. Oh, okay. So how old is he, Belinda? He's four. Four years old. And how long has he been doing that for? Um, probably a good two years. Oh, okay. So um, I guess the question you've raised, almost giving yourself the answer by saying about him not being de-sexed. What's, what's probably going on is he just feels the need to get out there and let the world know he's there, driven by testosterone. He's going to mark his territory and... Partly in, um, it's most likely that it, when he's desexed, that testosterone level comes down. He won't feel that urge, that drive so much. You and don't think it's a learnt behaviour now, though. That was my only problem. I thought I'd be out getting him mm. desexed, but then I thought, oh, 
maybe it's been going on too long that it's a behaviour issue that I yep. need to get him out of. Well, that, that's actually a really good point um, because certainly whatever the initiating cause can be and that hormonal drive is there, definitely, um, you know, does desexing mean that you're guaranteed it will stop? You're correct, it won't guarantee it. And you probably do need to look at some behavioural therapies like trying to make sure that he gets toilet access outside on the grass, um, not punishing him for when he is urinating inappropriately, but certainly rewarding him when he is going properly. But uh, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle without getting him desexed. And from a general health point of view, it's a really good idea to get him desexed anyway. So we cut down on the rate of things like some types of cancer. Uh, we cut down on prostate disease and some of those behavioural concerns, which this is one of. So I'd encourage you to go with that approach, but then also look at um, some ways to reward him for the correct behaviour and maybe moving his food bowl around, moving water around into some of those areas might actually make him think twice um, once after he gets over the operation, of course, uh, so that he's okay. not marking all over the veranda. And we've got Anne from Lake Memora on the line. You've got a rescue dog, but you need some advice. Yes, please. Um, we, we bought this dog about six months ago and um, he was in a very bad state um he'd been badly abused i think and he didn't they had to shave his hair right off because he was riddled with fleas and you know he was a mess and mm. so, so we we brought him home and we fed him up and he's a beautiful dog he's grown a lovely coat and he's beautiful in every way but he we can't train him to stop peeing in the house and mm. doing whatever else he wants to do in the house. What sort of dog is he, Anne? He's a Shih Tzu. Right. And um, how old do you think he is? He's, they said he's two, but he's four, I think. A little, bit, a little his, bit older. Okay. Yes. And we've tried. We take him out. Yes. But we don't take him out as often as we should. Yes. You know, I think we've got to realise that he has to go out about every half an hour. Oh, well, who's I got... I think uh, that's what we should be doing, but we Who's got time for that, though? You've got to live <laughs> well, as well. Um, you know, I mean, we've had him six months now, and we yes. thought, this, we've got another dog, which makes it awkward, because... Okay. The other dog is... He sleeps inside, but he needs the door open to go out at night, because he's trained. He won't okay. do any... Uh, but... We can't leave the door open because the other dog likes to, the new dog, yes. likes to sleep outside. Oh, so, okay. So and if we're asleep, yep. he'll come in and he'll make a mess somewhere. Mm. Oh, gee, that's not we, we can't, um, we can't close the door because Jackson can't get out then. <laughs> Your house is ruled it's, by the dogs at the moment. It is ruled by the dogs. <laughs> like, my, like my husband. Uh, yeah, like most houses, I think. Yeah. You've, you've yeah, my husband just said, what is this life we've got? <laughs> Cleaning up dog poo and dog wee. Uh, I'm sorry you're going through that because obviously you're taking on... Oh, that, we love you know, him. We just love him. I just yeah. wish he wouldn't stop all this. Well, look, as far as he's concerned, he's probably doing what he thinks is right. So yeah. um, let's. we've got to work on the positive part here. Yeah. Um, the, I guess the, the difficulty is that because you've got the two dogs and they're at different stages and the, your dog, mm. Jackson, knows what, uh, you know, knows how he should be behaving, you've, yes. got, you've got a pattern set up and then you've brought in another dog and everything's going to change and the other dog's behaviour is upsetting that apple cart as well. Yes. So we've yes. 
got to try and establish some boundaries uh, mm. around this behaviour. Now, how often do you feed the dogs? Um, we give them a little bit of kibble in the morning. Yes. And then we give them a good f- feed at night with chicken and a bit more kibble. Good, good. Now, do they have food available all day? No. Excellent. No. Okay. So the reason I ask that is because you can actually start to use food as a training aid? Well, we do that. We, yes. we We've managed to get him to realise that, you know, he, if he goes out when he's told, he'll get a treat. That's what we want to do. And so. we're doing mm. the treat thing, but... Um, I mean, yesterday he asked me to go out twice. He stood at the door and looked at me, and I knew that he wanted to go out. And I let him out. Yes. And he he actually... How long did he stay outside for? As long as he did what he had to do. Okay. One of the things you need to do is to establish that you are not the door person of your house, that you actually (laughs) own it, um, because he's not giving you any tips as he walks through either. He's just, you know, you get up, open the door, Shut the door. Get up. Open the door. You might, yeah. if you're going to do that, you might as well own a cat, yeah. uh, because yeah. cats like to t- go in and out, in and out. Um, yeah. What I would suggest we do is, like I said earlier, just establishing some boundaries, which means if he's going out, he stays out for a reasonable period of time, yeah. and the frequency is very important, which means. Every time he eats, he has to go outside first thing in the morning, last thing at night, so that you're getting into that regular pattern. And then if there's an area of the house that he is allowed into, I would actually um, cordon that off so that he can't then just wander through and put down some paper or some sort of uh, thing that he does toilet on. Because you can get to those toilet up. mats now as yes. well. I don't know if they're, you know... Yeah, absorbent pads, yeah, things yeah. like that. Because then you can actually make that area a lot smaller and gradually get him to the point where he's going, oh, look, I'll just I'll hold on and go outside. And that's really what we need to do. And because he hasn't had that training when he's younger, you're trying to do it now when his brain says, I don't really want to learn. And it's just repetition, repetition, Mm. repetition. Good luck with that, Anne. You've got to stick to your guns. Uh, We've got Patricia now from Budgiewoy. Now, you've got a comment about a successful adoption of a rescue pooch. Yeah, hi. Um, (coughs) I'm just referring to the last call. Mm -hmm. Um, I adopted a little dog and she was a year old when I got her. And she'd had no training and she did wee and poo everywhere. Um, she's eight years old now and it took me years to train her to not do that and even now it still happens Sometimes it's you've just got to stick with the oh, rules. Oh, I thought you? this was a successful story. <laughs> well, I think it is successful. I don't think Partly. it'll ever change. I think it's what she got for the first twelve months when they're so impressionable, and I don't believe that I will completely get her to forget that. But you've fixed the problem quite a lot. Oh yeah, I've put in a lot of time taking her outside and. I've been very persistent. Oh, mm. that's good, and that sounds like that's, a, that's, that's key. Part, part of the message is persistence. But it, look, it's also one of the reasons why a lot of pets, whether they're rescued or otherwise, end up being surrendered or moved on to another home because of these behavioural problems. And I'd probably just put a plug in for guys: get, get out there and speak to the professionals, seek. Uh, advice from people who do dog behaviour um, and there are a whole group of people who both vets and otherwise who are actually well trained in areas of 
regular dog behaviour, they can give you those little tips. And usually, you know, you can get a consult, they'll come to the house, and they'll actually uh, get you back on track a lot quicker. So it shouldn't take years. Good, even, that's good to know. Yeah, even with an older dog... It is a little bit harder, but let's... It can be done. Yeah, yeah let's good. get back on track. Well, we're going to do a rescue dog later today, but Zeke is toilet trained, so, you know, <laughs> that's that's a start. <laughs> we're going to go to Rodney now. Don't forget, we are taking your calls, 49216216. Rodney, uh, is that a dog I hear or a cat? In the, <laughs> you've got a question no, about no, a cat. No, my steel cat that's hitting the floor. I'm oh. at work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's a strange-sounding cat. Yeah, yard walking. <laughs> All right, how um, can David help you today? Today. Yeah, just on the um, the feeding, I heard you say that you shouldn't, like, okay, of a morning I've got a chihuahua yes. and, a, and a Maltese, right? Of a morning I have, I, 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 give, I, I give them food, you know, like my dog or something. And, my, and then I leave kibble out all day and then feed them again overnight. Am I doing wrong? Well, one of the things that happens is if food is out all day, see, dogs don't live in their instinctive world. They didn't have food available all the time. So there's a, there's a few things that come up. We really concentrate on the behavioural aspect of that. There are some medical aspects where dogs can get uh, put on too much weight and develop problems with obesity, diabetes, cancer. So we usually will feed once a day for adult dogs. And from a behavioural perspective, though, the dog starts to feel like, well, if I'm the one who's getting food all the time, then obviously I run this household. And so yep. the behaviour would uh, reflect that. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, we've, we've flashed the Maltese I am, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, the other thing you could do, though, if you want them to be occupied during the day, there's a lot of things like Kongs and you can get um, these uh, hollow bone plastic things where you put food inside them and as they play with them during the day, they get a food treat that comes out. Now, the trick there is that you might say, well, they're still getting food. Yes, but they're getting it because they've done something it's not just sitting there and so it's encouraging them to engage in that activity and that exercise and that's really if we're going to have that food available put it into a game put it into something that they can sit and chew on all day i'm glad rodney asked that because i was going to ask the same thing because we have dried food that's you know accessible for our dog as well so sarah (laughs) how long have you been doing this show with us (laughs) <laughs> That's actually never come up. That hasn't come up since I've been doing it, I'm sure. All right, we need a consult after All this. All right, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble. I can feel it. Karen in Waratah, you've got a dog with anxiety. Yeah, he had separation anxiety, the poor little thing. He's a dash hound cross, and when we leave him at home, when we've got to go to work and things like that, we get home, he's very stressed out. Um, he won't drink, he won't eat during the day. In summer, we have to go home on our lunch breaks just to sit with him so he'll have something to drink. Oh, wow. And he's just, he's beside himself when we get home. And he's not left alone a lot because we've got school kids, so they stay home with him school holidays. My husband has flexi days with him. We can't go out on weekends because the dog gets too stressed. Oh, you poor bug. <laughs> yeah, I've, look, I've come across this quite a few times in... I remember one dog that I saw, I think it was from Brankston, and the dog completely trashed the blinds and chewed on the windows. Oh, my goodness. And came in with severe lacerations around oh, its face. that's horrible. Um, oh, he has chewed off, he, he's taken out, he's taken out wood on the side, of it, like he's taken off a piece of wood and yeah. just pulled it apart on, on the door frame. So he's totally destroyed a door frame down to nothing where it just doesn't exist anymore. 
I think the key, th- the, yeah, the key thing though that you mentioned and you just said again there is that that word anxiety, and we we sometimes we discount really what's going on. We look at the out, outward manifestation yeah. of it. In other words, it's the damage that's caused. But let's think for a minute about what's going on inside an animal or a person's head with anxiety is it's completely disabling and crippling. And the real problem is that we need to address this behaviour because of the harm it's doing. Yes, it's doing harm to the furniture and the house and to your lifestyle, but it's also doing harm to, um, you know, his psychology and his psyche. And so for his own health, it's a serious issue in addressing anxiety of any cause, whether it's a storm phobia or very commonly separation anxiety. This is one problem where I think it really does play to uh, you need to speak with professionals. It's often one where we, as a veterinarian, I would use medication and behavioral reinforcement. Now, unfortunately, the reinforcement is a, a pretty intensive exercise. Um, and yeah. too complicated to go into here. But given that yeah, you're, yeah. you know, you've already adjusted so much of your life, let's do that adjustment, but making sure that we get him healthier in the meantime. And so you need to speak to your vet about either they set you up with a program and medication or a referral to a veterinary behaviourist. Before we have a look at your topic today, David, mm. just a quick weather update. Thanks to our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group Maitland, for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen and Isuzu U going to stay pretty much like this uh, overcast potential rain and quite windy not as windy as last night though that is the good news and right now it is 18 degrees around the coast if you're in the valley it's 17 degrees now we're looking at veterinarians today i've well, forgotten already <laughs> <laughs> we've been busy. Medi- medicine people people in veterinary medicine because uh, i guess as a clinician myself you know you go into the work because you want to do a certain certain species or a certain type of work and one of the interesting things is just looking at the range of activities that people come out of university with a veterinary degree and where do they end up and look it's a huge field because some people end up totally unrelated you know go back and do an economics or accounting and end up in the bank or something but (laughs) in the veterinary field I think that there's so many activities and it's kind of like career advice but uh Let's just say it's it's beyond what most of us would even contemplate. And one of the things that's really come out recently is this idea of one health. So the the interest in the fact that human health and animal health, we shouldn't really be thinking them of them as separate things. And we know that there's been a rise in a more uh, global understanding and awareness of zoonotic diseases. Those are the you know diseases that jump from animals to humans and i have to say from humans to animals as well okay and so there's more of this approach of what we call one health which means that when we're consulting and looking at a problem um you know it could be related to the viral diseases that come out like the zika and the sars and all sorts of things um hendra is a big one in australia of course we can't really just pocket it off and say, well, that's a, that's a human medical problem. This is a veterinary medical problem. Really, we have to look at the whole thing. So that involves particularly uh, viral diseases. So virologists um, working on this in research and um, in developing new tests and vaccines often come with either you will find standing next to each other virologists who have a medical background with training, human medical, and side by side is a veterinary virologist next to them. Right. Because we can't just isolate it. We're not going to get to the answer. We have to work as a team. 
Um, and this is not just in Australia. This is occurring all over the world, and it's a really big push to start to consider problems uh, from that wider perspective. The other thing that, um, just as another activity that vets get involved in, and people in the veterinary industry, is uh, one that we're familiar with in Australia is about emergency responders. So we think of, you know, if there's fire or flood, we've seen floods recently, We've looked at the rescue efforts that happen for people and property, but also what about for animals that are out on the field? And, you know, so we have a whole group of uh, people, both veterinary and otherwise, in that field looking at things like moving livestock around and, you know, how do we get food to livestock that are. Uh, Which is so important when there out. is a you know natural disaster. So important it is, and not just from a humanity and compassion point of view, but also because if we don't do that, livelihoods. Yeah, well, yeah. that's right. Um, how are we going to restock the farm? And if you know, if animals do die, then they contaminate water supplies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's all of those areas as well. And again, governments and rescue organisations incorporate the advice from veterinarians into those disaster responses. It's fundamental. Uh, Most of that's coordinated through government, of course. The other area which is um, very important is food production. How do we ensure that we have a focus on both productivity but also animal welfare throughout all parts of the food chain? And that's obviously a huge area. So people are involved not just on farm, but also in terms of genetics research, also in terms of transport, of uh, if we're talking about uh, animals and so on. How do we make sure that animals are looked after as they move around and uh, grown on the farm effectively and efficiently? Yeah, yep. There just a few of the areas where I think a veterinary degree probably gives you the basis for that. And um, one of the people I, I was talking to recently about this has spent years over in uh, Saudi Arabia studying camels. Wow, okay. Camel medicine. Now, did you know that actually Australia has the largest wild population of camels, camels. in the world? There you go. I'm so, not surprised. I'd, yeah. You know, we don't actually have great big camel farms where we can go out and look at them like that, but we do have the wild population. If we had a disease that occurs in camels in the wild and it gets into Australia as a as a you know a we're in ca- trouble an em- epidemic can occur because we're not really aware of you know where's our camel experts? it's such a broad yeah. scope and you're right you don't think about the the different areas that you can go in and specialize in my sister-in-law's back at uni now doing an extra field oh, for, yeah. Yeah, i didn't know that yeah yeah of course she used Good to honor. work for you kate so yeah um yeah it's just amazing and the amount of studying because i know that's all she does if she's not working <laughs> she's studying and you think oh my lord and i do i do know that um quite a few vets i went back to my 25 year reunion not so long ago and um i said to a couple of vets who i went through uni with and there was only 64 of us in the class and what are you doing and there's like five of them are, oh we're I'm doing human medicine now I went went into human medicine. And they think they're better doctors because they used to be vets. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes makes it. You're working on smaller (laughs) hearts, smaller organs. (laughs) Look, you know, we're we're almost out of time. Um, It's been a really interesting show. Before we go, uh, quickly, our pet of the week, and you can find him at 2NURFM.com. If you click on Program Guide and Pet Chat, you'll get to see Cheryl, you'll get to see David, and you'll get to see Zeke. Uh, He's a five-month-old cattle dog. The great thing about Zeke is he 
he's toilet trained because oh. we've heard a few issues about toilet training today. He's sweet, he's affectionate, he has got the basic training down pat, he loves walks and he will need walks and he does love kids but he's a bigger dog and he can get a bit excited so you know you would have to monitor that definitely. If you want more information please head to our website and we have all the details there. That's it for us guys and Thank girls. You. Thank Thanks, you Sarah. for coming in. It's been a great one as always. We're back same time next week from midday. 